from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Beef heads back to school. And when you have a little kid that says that to you that doesn't know you from Adam, you know, it really touches you. An inside look at the family ranching operation that produces beef for many schools in Arkansas. It's officially over. Good news when it comes to drought conditions on one key waterway used by U.S. Ag. As the Biden administration officially approves year-round sales of E15. They want a uniform nationwide solution. But it isn't everything the industry hoped for. Reaction right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Drivers in eight Midwest states will be able to fuel up with E15 all year long but not until next year. Now, the rule finalized by the EPA doesn't take effect until April of 2025. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us with Reaction. And Michelle, the Renewable Fuels Association called the decision a double-edged sword. Yeah, Clint, that's how most of the ethanol industry is characterizing EPA's decision. ACE officials tell me while it's good news long-term for providing a permanent solution for year-round E15 in eight Midwestern states, it doesn't kick in until 2025, leaving questions about this summer. Plus, the industry still needs a nationwide solution. Ethanol industry groups say they welcome EPA's decision, but are disappointed it doesn't kick in until April 28, 2025. This creates uncertainty about E15 for this summer and leaves them pushing for a solution. The administration says it will likely issue temporary waivers like it did in 2022 and 2023. However, the waivers were justified by record high gas prices in the Black Sea War. Officials hope the Middle East crisis will trigger those waivers again this year, but say it's not a given. I'm feeling better about the fact that USDA Secretary Vilsack has already come out and essentially alluded to um, the likelihood that we will get emergency waivers. But we require, and the administration more importantly, requires sort of justifiable reasons in order to uh, trigger those emergency waivers. And the fact remains that while the eight Midwestern states account for about 50% of E15 sales, the ethanol industry needs a nationwide solution for E15. Jennings is hopeful the decision has a silver lining that will help get their E15 bill passed in Congress. And I think will motivate the refiners to get more serious about helping us push this bipartisan, bicameral legislation that's pending in Congress that would take care of this issue, allow E15 in all of the states. And the reason, of course, is that the refiners and even to an extent the pipeline operators don't want one set of rules in terms of the gas gasoline that's blended with ethanol in eight Midwestern states and an entirely different set of rules for the rest of the states in the ethanol that's blended with gasoline. They want a uniform nationwide solution. Jennings says it's also frustrating that EPA's decision got cut up in election year politics and the administration missed its statutory deadline to finalize the governor's E-15 petitions by more than 600 days. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Act Day. 
And we have an update on two important waterways for agricultural producers. The U.S. Soybean Export Council starting with the Mississippi River. Now it reports the Army Corps of Engineers says the drought conditions along the Mississippi are officially over. The dryness started back in September of 2022. Today it says there are currently no draft restrictions for a third straight week and there are no low water dredges operating along that key waterway. Snow melts and winter precipitation the past two months have helped get more water into the system. And the Export Council says while it's good news, it's clear the low water levels last fall unfortunately impacted soybean exports from the U.S., which are key from September to February, adding that the risk of low water levels returning remains elevated. Meanwhile, in the Panama Canal, it continues to deal with drought and the canal authority is still trying to save water. It's reducing the draft available for ships and limiting the number of vessels that go through the locks each day. USEC adds that the situation in the Suez Canal is only adding to the issue and that's forcing vessels to travel the longer and more expensive route around the southern tip of Africa. Now the rainy season in Panama usually starts in May. It looks like warmer than normal temperatures are on the way for much of the country this week. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has a look ahead. Yeah, in fact, that temperature outlook hasn't changed all that much. The only thing that has really changed on this map uh, is the date, March 7th, extending uh, the uh, chance of some above average temperatures in across the United States. You're really going to start to see spring if it hasn't already uh, spring across the area across the United States. Still colder than average below normal temps back out here on the West Coast. But with these springtime temperatures that we typically get uh, mainly in April, especially in the Midwest and the Northeast, do have to be on the lookout uh, for some cold fronts and the possibility of severe weather. So this gets us all the way through the first week of March with above average temperatures. And from this point forward, it's looking more like you know, saying goodbye to extreme cold in and across the United States and hello to more spring like temperatures. And we continue to see positive news when it comes to the California Sierra snowpack. Right now, the statewide average is 86% of normal. The UC Berkeley Central Sierra and Snow Lab sharing this view of the snow falling last week near the lab. One year ago, about 84% of California was in a drought. That number now, just 7% is abnormally dry, the lowest drought level. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. USDA leaders have received the final report of recommendations from the department's Equity Commission. The agency coming up with 66 recommendations to improve equity within the Ag Department. The recommendations span nine areas, including eliminating bias in USDA offices and programs and extending SNAP benefits to U.S. territories. Former United Farm Workers Union President Arturo Rodriguez highlighted the importance of including farm worker perspectives in the process with recommendations addressing farm worker conditions and access to nutrition programs. That's what equity is about. When you walk in the door, whether you're a recipient of nutrition benefits from this department, or a farmer looking for support, that you receive equitable, fair, treatment. That's what this report reflects. This report is about seeing people. And I mean really seeing people. 
understanding that each of them has a point of view and a life story that defines who they are and requires anyone dealing with them to understand and appreciate that. Now the commission was launched two years ago and held six public meetings starting in February of 2022. Corn futures dropped more on Friday, so have they hit a bottom yet? We'll have more on that coming up next in Markets Now. And later, some students in Arkansas know exactly where their beef comes from, and they have one family farm to thank. We'll take you to it in the country. Corn continued to slump to end last week. What's the outlook for this week? Agnes Michelle Rook is here with Markets Now. Friday's market close is lower in the grays. Tommy Grisafi with Advanced Trading joining us. And Tommy, uh, kind of a bloodbath on Friday. New contract lows in corn and soybeans. How much of the selling pressure last week was just liquidation before option expiration and whatnot? Well, Friday, March options expired. That's a fact. They are gone. Uh, hopefully people had sold grain at higher levels and they're happy to have a March call expire. Of course, we noticed that March puts became incredibly uh, valuable here the last few weeks and months. I'm glad for people who had them. Now, Michelle, there's a whole group of people who had delivered corn to the elevator end user ethanol plant and they weren't happy with the price. So they just dropped it off and said, we'll price it later, aka basis contract. Massive backfire. Corn's broke 60, 70 cents at least since they dropped it off. Uh, that's coming straight out of what could have been a profit or a break even. You are looking at a grower who is now going to look back and say, even though I knew my cost of production going into 23, I didn't sell enough and I now lost money farming in 23. Absolutely devastating week for the American farmer. And the same thing happened, Tommy, when the December contracts went off the board here. As we start a new week though now, do you see farmers selling drying up or the funds maybe taking their foot off the accelerator at all in the grains? Yeah, great question. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see uh, the, the market pop. It could have a vicious pop. You sometimes get to a point where the last person who needs to sell it sells it, and we do nothing but go uh, up after that. But what we do have to remember is we still have really bearish fundamentals, but the corn market is now uh, much under where any exporter or end user could uh, produce it. So if it cost a farmer last year $5 to produce a bushel of corn, an end user or foreign country can now buy it for four. To me, Michelle, it seems like corn's on sale. Um, but if you had to price it at the end of last week, you know, what's done is done. So we need to start looking forward. We're dealing with big carryouts and we're still dealing with a little higher cost production. We're also dealing with high cash rents. And one more, the one I think is the most important, interest rates and operating notes are three times higher than where they were three years ago. Yeah, certainly a lot to think about there. Tabi Grisafi with Advanced Trading. Thanks for joining us, and we'll have more IP. Interested in spending a day with a trader? Call Tommy Grisafi at 800-664-4383. We're looking at the jet stream coming up on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Zonal for our Monday, but Tuesday, top left corner of your screen. As we talked about last week, the potential is there for possibility of some severe weather or strong thunderstorms moving across the United States attached to this trough and a corresponding cold front that's going to be 
at the surface. So again, this is jet, the jet stream coming up on Tuesday with showers and thunderstorms flaring up uh, not only through the plains, but also working to the east with that piece of energy. Where this U travels is also where we could see some uh, thunderstorms as well as widespread rain, mainly on the right side of this low. Uh, relatively shallow, so I don't expect it to pick up a lot of Gulf moisture that will be a key component in the severe weather potential and of course uh, the, the rainfall the potential. If this stays shallow, we're not going to pick up as, as much Gulf moisture limiting the severe weather potential. But right now it's looking kind of in that in between zone where it's far enough to the south that we do have to keep our eyes and ears peeled for our Tuesday and Wednesday with that severe weather. Now as that moves out, there's going to be a pocket of cold air, but look what's on the other side of it. Just like what we went through this past weekend across the United States where temperatures surged above average, came down for a day and then went right back up. That's the trend for Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Temperature is going to be a little bit cooler, but by Friday and Saturday, uh, this ridge dominates the forecast, and that is a long stretch of quiet, warm weather across the United States. So when we showed you it earlier that deep into March with the above average highs, this is why uh, once again we're starting to see uh, the uh, blocking pattern set up on the right side. You got that trough and also on the left side right in the middle. You got that ridge of high pressure. As for the precipitation outlook, this is February 28th through the 3rd, a kind of a broad area. Basically what this says to me is that there's going to be scattered thunderstorms or scattered showers and not really a big system moving through. It is that thunderstorm complex that we're going to be monitoring Tuesday into Wednesday, which is where we pick up more of the wetter than normal trend. Uh, parts of the Gulf Coast states, again, a wetter than normal as well. Keep it off on the, uh, the West Coast you know, where we could see, again, more snow in the higher elevations and rain back into California and Oregon. So here's a look at that temperature outlook. So we saw this earlier all the way into the 7th with the above average temperatures with that temperature outlook, that ridge of high pressure that we were talking about that really starts to anchor anchor itself across the United States coming up on Thursday. Start off in Kentucky, Danville, partly cloudy, high around 67 degrees. Carmi, Illinois, check out our highs today, 74 degrees. What about South Dakota? Partly cloudy with some wind, high of 60 degrees. How much will a two-wheel drive, 30-year-old tractor set you back? Machinery Pete has the numbers and how they stack up historically. Well, folks, today let's zero in on a John Deere 4755 tractor. Of course, a lot of love for the 55 series models. Uh, just over 30 years old now, made from the very end of the 1980s to the early 1990s. And I guess what got me thinking about the 55 series was this tractor that sold on an auction February 21st, an online consignment auction by my friends at Crowpy Real Estate and Auction out of Western Nebraska. This 1990 model, 4755 two-wheel drive, 6,509 hours, very sharp. So for $57,500, very strong price there. Again, given that it's two-wheel drive with over 6,500 hours on it. Now, it's interesting if we pull back a little bit, here's a look at the average auction price on a John Deere 4755 tractor going back over the last 15 years. And this data, by the way, it's free to view at machinerypeat.com. It's updated every day. We want you folks to hop in and look at this data before you buy, sell, or trade any piece of equipment. But it's interesting, you can see the average auction price last year in 2023 at $45,441. There's only one year I've ever seen a higher average, and that was back in 2009. Um, also interesting to note that the average auction price has actually gone up the last four years now, 
2020, 21, 22, 23. Of course, the used market's been on fire. Um, you also might notice the high and the low for each calendar year. They're in that number 82,000 uh, sticking out at us like a sore thumb. Here's a picture of that tractor, the all-time record high price ever on a 47.55. Just came November 11th of 2023. Farm auction in Orange City, Iowa. This 91 model two-wheel drive. 5,072 hours in, 82,000 bucks. And I also find it statistically interesting. Uh, here's a look, but actually the four highest auction prices ever on 4755s, all in the last 11 months since March of 2023. All right, thanks, Pete. Well, more farms are finding ways to go direct to consumer. We're off to Arkansas to see how one cattle operation is finding their niche at school. Farm in Arkansas has carved out a niche selling beef to local school programs across the state and has a storefront in downtown Moralton. The Arkansas Farm Bureau takes a look at the operation. Uh, October 2018 is when we milked the last cows there on the dairy farm. So all together here, uh, you know, we currently farm over 5,000 acres. We run a thousand head of, of mama cows. We keep 1,500 to 2,000 yearlings on feed year-round. We currently sell beef to a lot of schools, not just here in central Arkansas, but we also go up into northeast Arkansas and as far south into southwest Arkansas as well. It's really kind of impressed upon us the importance of moving toward getting kids out to the farm I think I think it's great that we can bring farm to them to their lunch menu but getting them out on the farm to see how we feed cattle how we take care of livestock how we plant crops and take care of the land and do those sorts of things so that they really have a more clear understanding of you know it doesn't just appear there's all this work that goes behind it and all this care that goes into it we, which we have some posters that you know that we have our farm name on that that the cafeteria workers have asked us to bring they they post them up inside the cafeteria so that that kid knows that their hamburgers or their beef come from Warman farms i can't tell you how many times that i've been at a school or i've been out at a restaurant and a little kid that that goes to school somewhere where where we sell beef to and that little six or seven year old kid looks at you and and tells you how good those hamburgers are and it's the best hamburger he's ever had and when you have a little kid says that to you that doesn't know you from adam you know it really touches you that that sense of satisfaction that that you're doing something good and you're doing something that people appreciate we opened our store a couple months ago uh here in downtown Moralton. we were selling so much of our secondary cuts in the form of ground beef or fajita meat or, or things of that nature to the schools, which left our primal cuts, your ribeyes, your porterhouse steaks, filet mignons, sirloins, and, and things of that nature. We were needing to kind of increase demand for that, and, and we felt opening up the store to, to market those steaks would be a good way to, to kind of help balance the demand for the primary and secondary cuts. Really it's just that we, this is something we're passionate about, it's something we're passionate about as a family. Um, one of the great things is that we, we all get to work together. Um, we get to, you know, I get to see my kids every day. 
I get to spend time with my husband and, and we all get to spend time together on the farm. The money that we receive from the beef sales and cattle sales and stuff that we get is not why we're here. We have a, a strong passion for farming, for cattle farming, for the crops that we grow, the grass that we grow for our cattle. Uh, we're very passionate about what we do. And we want to thank the Arkansas Farm Bureau for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Day. I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great week on Farm Country.